My number one album. Big shocker to me. Also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Folklore just is that like it's a perfect album consequence podcast network hello and welcome to the spark parade where i geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration i'm adam unz at Spark Parade on all social media. Thanks ever so much for joining me. My guest this week is the positively delightful and insanely talented Speedy Ortiz founder and frontwoman Sadie Dupuis, and she spoke to me about her spark, the groundbreaking graphic novel Ghost World. Uh, we also talk a lot about Terry Zivigoff's film adaptation, so it's a real two-for-one. Bargain! Uh, I love Ghost World 2, so Sadie and I had a great time talking about its depiction of teenage girls, Dan Clow's artistic style, and the impact of Ghost World on the medium of graphic novels, and the differences between the book and the movie, and much more. Sounds pretty cool, doesn't it? Let's check it out then, shall we? Quick Sadie facts. Sadie Dupuis is an American musician who is the guitarist, lead vocalist, lyricist, and founder of the band Speedy Ortiz. The band originated in 2011 as a solo project shortly after Dupuis moved to Northampton to work on her MFA. The project expanded to a full band in 2011, and they have since released four studio albums, including... The brand spanking new Rabbit Rabbit, which was released on September 1st of this very year, 2023. Quick Ghost World facts. Ghost World is a graphic novel by Daniel Klaus. It was a commercial and critical success and developed into a cult classic. Ghost World follows the day-to-day lives of best friends Enid Coleslaw and Rebecca Doppelmeyer, two cynical, pseudo-intellectual, and intermittently witty teenage girls recently graduated from high school at the end of the 1990s. They spend their days wandering aimlessly around their unnamed American town, criticizing popular culture and the people they encounter, while wondering what they will do for the rest of their days. The comic's success led to a movie adaptation of the same name, starring Thora Birch, Scarlett Johansson, and Steve Buscemi. It was released in 2001 to critical acclaim and numerous nominations, including a nomination for the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, written by Daniel Klaus and Terry Zwigoff. And there you have it. Time to get down to business. Here comes my chat with Sadie Dupuis about Ghost World. Do you remember reading Ghost World for the first time, being turned on to it? I guess in this instance, did you read the comic book first? Did you see the movie first? You tell me. I not only read the comic first, but I'm about to say perhaps the most precocious thing I've ever said about myself as a child. But um, my mom's uh, best friend lived in Amsterdam 
And we went one time, it's like the one time I went to Europe before I uh, was touring there much later as an adult. In like 1998, we went to visit my mom's friend in Amsterdam. And we went also to Paris with her. And I went to a comic shop and I saw Ghost World on the, uh, what are those racks called? The like spinning display racks for comics. So I saw a, a copy of it on there. And I think I was, just, I was, you know, I was 10 years old in 1998. I was just drawn to the title. Um, and I asked my mom if I could buy that. And my mom is, is cool. And uh, we were always reading comics together. Um, generally more age appropriate comics, but this was in French and I did not speak French and neither did my mom. Uh, so she let me buy it. And I became obsessed with just looking through this comic that I could not read the language of. And maybe like six months later, they had it in the local comic shop uh, where we lived in English. And I was like, oh shit, Like, I think I've stumbled my way into something I'm not supposed to have yet. And yeah, that's how I got into Ghost World. Luckily, my mom wasn't as cool and did not take it away from me. So I I was already a big fan of it uh, prior to the movie's release. Okay. Um, that is uh, an amazing uh, international uh, beginning. Um, I feel like I sound now like a jet setter child. This is not the case, <laughs> but um, I just happened to have bought Ghost World like the one time I was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I guess like, I mean, do you remember once you actually had, you know, the ability beyond just liking the way the, the pictures look, the transition into kind of a deeper relationship with the story once you, you know, had the words to, to go along with it. Yeah, for sure. And I'll say I already was a big fan of comics and drew a lot of my own. I was really into Sailor Moon uh, and I had all of the issues of that. And I would go to the comic shop every month to get new ones and um, drew my own fan art of it. So I loved that. And I also loved Archie Comics, which my mom had gotten me into. Um, I was obsessed with Josie and the Pussycats. And she had actually also bought me uh, a comic that Gilbert Hernandez and Peter Bagg did together called Yeah! with an exclamation point. That was basically like their kind of weird parody of Josie and the Pussycats. So I, I did already have a tiny foray into indie comics, but um, Ghost World was sort of the first one that made me aware of like, Fanographics drawn in quarterly, that kind of world of like contemporary indie comics. And the reason I mentioned the Josie and the Pussycats and the Sailor Moon thing is I feel like the heart of those stories is the friendship among all these girl protagonists. Um, and I saw that reflected in Ghost World, but instead of bonding over <laughs> being superheroes saving uh, Tokyo, or uh, instead of bonding over you know playing an abandoned riverdale they're just like making fun of everyone together um they have all these very obscure pop cultural interests and diversions um and i think as someone who was about to enter middle school or maybe i already was in middle school by that point um seeing that kind of friendship reflected in the writing was like very exciting to me um of course it was written by uh not a teenage girl but it still felt very true to that kind of friendship to me and and remained uh, rereading it before. Well, we can get into that later because I did reread this before we spoke and I had not read it since I was in high school. Wow. But yeah, I think I as a young weirdo and someone who um, was starting to like, I think I had a cape that I wore in seventh grade and my mom helped me dye my hair pink in that same year. 
Uh, there's a lot to admire in the the Enid Coleslaw character that kind of helped me get a handle on who I was and what I was about. Even though there's a lot of messed up stuff in the comic that I was not pleased to return to. Yeah, yeah. I, I felt the same. I, I just um, reread it too. And it's kind of, you know, I mean, with anything, like the passage of time changes your of it, opinion. Of its time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. But I guess uh, one thing that really struck me, I mean, I think this is something that everybody thinks of when they're talking about the different kinds of comic books that exist, but that historically comic books had been this kind of superhero thing or like fantastical, otherworldly, not grounded in reality. And it, you know, progressively became a medium that, you know, or, or like funny stuff, you know, like, uh, cartoony, um, not, you know, Garfield, what, uh, yeah. those, those kinds of things in that direction. And, uh, it was becoming, you know, had become, um, with, you know, people like R. Crumb comes to mind because of, uh, Terry Zwigoff and his relationship yeah. with him and all that. But it's these teenage girls who are being treated in a way like the protagonists of a superhero comic and their superpower is just like being teenage girls who are observing the world and being kind of snarky and, yeah. um, that that is uh, on an equal footing with the, you know, how incredible the story of Superman is or whatever. That does, it's like giving a power to a story about teenage girls and the lives of teenage girls that in this context, you know, are smaller in scope than something like Superman. But um, giving it that same power, that same feeling of excitement, which I think is great. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned having grown up loving Archie comics, and I certainly had all the like Archie in the 50s, Archie in the 60s uh, collections and still have those. And I think something <laughs> the show Riverdale is a, is ending next week. I have seen every episode and I uh, absolutely love this chaotic and zany show. Um, and I think something that's so great about Riverdale, apart from the fact that it's doing Twin Peaks and Scream and uh, <laughs> like supernatural fantasy and time travel and too many genres uh, per episode, but they basically decided from like season one, the Betty and Veronica friendship is what matters and that the Archie relationship is sort of irrelevant to their friendship. And like, uh, especially in the final season, they've really hammered that home. Um, and so I feel like Ghost World, reading it for the first time as like a 10 to 13 year old, basically is like 20 steps ahead of what Riverdale did. It's like uh, Betty and Veronica, like Archie's there, but Really, if they're crying about Archie, they're crying about their friendship to one another. And, and that's sort of the central like love story of the of the book. Yeah. And, you know, ha having them be the focus in a way that's like feels so true to the teenage experience where it's like they are talking shit about everyone. They're really judgmental, but they're also you know, have tons of insecurities and are unsure in their, about their place in the world. And they're at the cusp of adulthood that's like late teenager um, experience where you are still a baby, but you are transitioning into adulthood and having to go out on your own and figure out the world um, for yourself. So, you know, talking about the complexities of like friendships that transition from uh, a high school experience into something else or not and all of that other stuff too it's like this uh it's it, it's in some ways very sweet and in some ways very sad and yeah just like a very emotionally complex which again i totally love yeah and i think if i think about stories about girls of this age written and illustrated by male authors 
I feel like what I really like about Ghost World is it is never at all condescending to these characters. They are so astute and sharp and those moments of insecurity that you point out are taken with such seriousness and care. Um, And I loved learning at some point that uh, Enid Coleslaw is like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? An anagram. Thank you. It's an anagram for Daniel Klaus. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So he's, you know, clearly injecting a ton of his own experience and and thoughts into these girls. But there's just like, I feel like that was kind of a revolutionary thing for me to see as a, you know, tween, early teen, um, because a lot of the media that was on like WBCW uh, that starred, you know, a teenage girl character was absolutely not done uh, with that like lack of condescension with that um, utter like seriousness uh, towards the character. So that was very cool to get to have as in my in my library back then. And part of why I even thought to when you know when you sent when when I got the asked to do this like however many it was like months ago. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll have no problem thinking of something. And as we got close to it, it's like, I I feel like I'm struggling to think of something that's been so important to me that I haven't sort of talked about to death. And I saw uh, just a couple weeks ago the Shortcomings uh, movie, which is the adaptation of Adrian Tomina's um, graphic novel. And he, I, I mean, a big difference between the Shortcomings book and film and the Ghost World adaptation is the the Ghost World adaptation comes like, a few years after that uh, book was compiled. Shortcomings is like 15 years later. So the script was able to see a, a lot more like modern updating. But my partner and I went out, we went out for ice cream after the movie. It was like maybe the most perfect day of my summer. And we were, we, we'd been together a long time when we first started dating kind of over our shared interest in contemporary comics. Uh, and I'd never really thought to ask him like what first got him into to comics. And I, remembered the story of the reason I found uh, Adrian Tomina's work is because he had done a poster for Weezer um, that was basically his drawing of Enid and Rebecca from Ghost World. But the record they're holding is like a Weezer album. And I had this poster uh, in my bedroom growing up and it was only in like looking up who the artist was. I honestly had thought it was Dan Klaus because it their styles are, you know, I, I think Tomina's said quite often that he was influenced by um Klaus but yeah that that was kind of how I found his work and I feel like from that I found other illustrators graphic novelists who had also been doing the like New Yorker covers and things like that so I feel like the early finding of Ghost World and sort of learning how different different artists were connected and then Dan Klaus doing all these sub pop covers um I feel like it taught me this uh, like con- interconnectedness in artistic communities that sort of paved my own way for like entering them myself. Uh, just knowing that different artists were friends with one another and respected one another and uh, comics people did album covers and uh, all the people writing albums were, you know, Amy Mann's writing a song called Ghost World. Um, I feel like I learned some of that stuff more from comics than I did from from music initially. Yeah, I guess, you know, not limiting artists to one particular thing or, um, you know, one of the things that I was reminded of when I was doing a little research for this was Daniel Klaus designing the can for OK Cola. The Coke thing. Yeah, yeah, OK. I don't know if it was actually cola, but um, (laughs) and like I looked at that can and I was like, oh, fuck, I remember that. Oh, that's so weird. But yeah, just that that influence uh, coming in all different places. And yeah, it's um, 
it's really exciting and and artwork that is so specific and so just like those images once they're in your brain feel kind of imprinted there um yeah the style is so remarkable and so uh instantly recognizable yeah it's it's great and like similar to to so when i was watching shortcomings i was like oh, i feel like i know exactly this panel that this scene is and that's because optic nerve is very like cinematically done i think eight ball similar deal um so when like two days ago and i was like let's do ghost world it's like cool i'm gonna reread ghost world and i'm gonna rewatch the movie and i, I read the book uh, first, and as we were kind of mentioning up up top, uh, like the the trigger warning if you reread this is there's quite a lot of uh, there's R slurs, there's a lot of homophobic slurs. It's it's the '90s, and that is how teenagers unfortunately spoke. Um, yeah. So that was a little bit jarring to return to. I didn't remember that, but I'm not surprised I didn't remember it because it was kind of de rigueur. Anyway, and th- and that's kind of true in the movie as well, although to a lesser extent. Uh, but the thing I was really struck by is that, like a similar thing where seeing them back to back one day after the other the the shots and the framing really look like the panels. And I feel like they did a lot to kind of, other than of course the like high vibrancy saturation look of the film, um, which is a lot more stark in the black and blue ink of the comic. There's so so much rich visual stuff to mine for the story. And I think they did a really incredible job adapting it on the like cinematographic front. Is that a word? It's gotta be a word. Let's say so. Let's say it is. (laughs) Time for a quick break, because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. Yeah, I uh, I also think the film version of Ghost World, to me, is a very good example of an adaptation of a novel. Because it's not, mm-hmm. you know, the story is different there are characters that are you know composites or completely invented but the the style the the overall like the mood is the same mm-hmm. and uh like you said like the color saturation the you know the palette doesn't feel the same but the the feeling that it gives you even though it's different styles is very similar and it's like you know translating that feeling to a different medium yeah very well done and the fact that you know dan Klaus was very closely involved with it um you know makes you feel even better about any of the changes that were made of course yeah it's funny like I, so I, I i hadn't read uh ghost world since high school i don't think i've kept up with with Klaus' other books since then but honestly because it's at my mom's house and i haven't lived there since i was 18 so i haven't uh I hadn't gone back and both my French copy and my English copy are at my mom's house. So I hadn't gone back and, and reread it, but I only remembered it very positively. And I remember, I'm sure I went to see it on opening day because I was already obsessed with the book, but I remember going to see the movie. Uh, it's like 2001, is that when it came out? Mm-hmm, yep. So I'm 13 years old and I hated the movie. I was very mad. I felt they had not done justice to the book, even though, of course, like Klaus co-wrote the script. I did not appreciate the Steve Buscemi character's introduction. And I'm sure this is because, I mean, I, I think I have a, a major hatred for like a teenage, <laughs> a teenager dating a 40 year old in a movie and it being presented. It, granted, there's a lot of nuance to that presentation uh, that I can pick up on better as a 35 year old closer to the Steve Buscemi character. But I detested that choice when I was a 13 year old and had not seen the movie since then. And I feel like. I really, I, I love the Seymour character and I almost feel like that could be a different movie. Uh, the 
satirizing of this record collector type. I, I love all those scenes. I loved seeing uh, David Cross in it. Uh, that was a fun thing I kind of had forgotten about. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I I felt like I missed some of that central love between the two girls. I feel like it, it kind of dissipates once we have the, the Seymour character introduced. And I also was kind of interested, the Thora Birch presentation of the Enid character is very different than how I would have imagined it, even like uh, trying to remember the movie from 2001. Um, I almost feel like Sc Scarlett Johansson's delivery is more how I imagined both of those girls talking, the very like flat affect. Thora Birch is like a ton of big, big reactions. There's like a different emotional level to it. So it's just different. I don't know. I, I I enjoyed it more than I did in 2001, I think. Although, of course, still always troubled by uh, an 18-year-old dating a 45-year-old in a movie. And Yeah, for sure. I read a review um, or like somebody, you know, that was like the, the around the 20th anniversary that people were kind of reflecting on it. And somebody was saying, you know, there is no way getting around the inherent ickiness of a 40-something and a teenager, um, yeah. you know, that being romantically involved. And it's true. But the stuff you were saying about uh, Thora Birch, to me, it almost feels like a record being played at a slightly faster speed. Mm. And it's like, it is it is there. You feel like that is a version of this character, but it's just like a little, a little different, a little like off kilter from what you, you may have like felt or um, like what you thought it would be. Yeah, which is of course fine. And as you mentioned, it's an adaptation. It's a different story. And maybe that changed to the my perception of the character is what was required to take the story there. But um, so in in creating this Seymour character, they kind of, as I think you mentioned, it's a composite of a couple of more minor characters from the book. Um, but I love the Bob Skeets character, mm -hmm. the, the yeah. psychic. Uh, and I feel like his sort of minor appearance early on and then uh in the in the book he reappears at the end he's on the beach with the metal detector and he kind of gives enid this like psychic reading that dictates very much dictates the end of the book and i think gives you this whole different understanding of the character and i really missed that in the movie i feel like the the bus scene is less um less less teed up for us uh as it is in the book yeah and like also wasting such a good character name not putting that in the movie just amazing oh my god incredible did you know there's this whole like a uh, conspiracy theory about i didn't know that people think that enid dies by suicide and that's yeah. what the i was like what i've never once taken that away from it yeah dan Klaus is very diplomatic about it he's like that wasn't the intention. Um, <laughs> I don't know. People think a lot of different things. I'm not going to stop people from thinking whatever they want to think. <laughs> it's like incredibly diplomatic. Right. But yeah, I, I think the other interesting thing is it's like making the Seymour character a composite of not just um, characters from the book, but also infused with Terry Zwigoff. And mm. it's like, you know, he has said it's an excuse for him to put all the music that he loves into the movie and that the studio had wanted it to be like, you know, a real like 90s pop soundtrack and um, it, which was also like the wrong way to go. But yeah, finding some kind of happy medium that it's like maybe music that the kids would have actually been into instead of just focusing on like Terry's Wigoff's uh, music collection, which fit Seymour's character. Yeah, that's so interesting. I hadn't considered. Uh, yeah. 
That's cool. Yeah. And, you know, it's uh, a lot of other stuff about, you know, before this movie, he'd only done documentaries. He did one about a jazz musician. He did one about R. Crumb. Right. And those two documentaries inform this movie a lot. And there's references to, you know, the band that Terry Zwigoff was in with Robert Crumb. And, you know, all of the music that he listens to is stuff that he had spoken about really loving before. So, yeah. And it makes me feel like maybe there's a little bit of Robert Crumb in that character too because robert crumb's kind of a creep yep <laughs> so um yeah it's it's an interesting interesting choice that i i think you know it works but you do have to kind of say it's an adaptation of a book but it's also kind of its own thing it's more like inspired by instead of a direct adaptation yeah a hundred percent it's funny thinking about you know we were talking about how the, there's a lot of crossover in the world between indie music and indie comics and when I was watching a lot of the the record collector uh, club scenes, the, the funny party that uh, they host, I was thinking about, is this a way for Klaus to kind of talk about the comics collector obsessive and, and those kinds of rabbit holes? But he does it again. There's a there's like a there's a comic shop. What do they call it? Like it's like zine, Z-I-N-E, Ophobia, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. which <laughs> I feel like they took, uh, yeah, no, no punches pulled satirizing the nerdy white collector community yeah and it's also interesting to me like uh i think in the minds of the people who greenlit the film it was going to be like a teen hit that would really appeal to young people and (laughs) thora birch gave an interview and she's like i've got to admit the first time i saw it i hated it and i thought it was really boring (laughs) and i was like this is going to be the end of my career like nobody's going to hire me after this wow very interesting to like have that perspective i don't know if all teenagers felt that way about it, but just that the two of you both had that in common. Well, when I watched the movie again the other day, the opening credits, I was blown away to see John Malkovich's name in there. And I actually had no idea that he had a he's a partner in a production company that did this movie. At, they did Art School Confidential, the, the other Clouds adaptation as well. Hmm. But they also did Juno. <laughs> I couldn't help but think that the portrayal of Enid really carves out a space for like Juno a few years later. It feels more in line with that than what I imagine, the character I imagine from the comic. But of course, Juno is wildly popular and I'm sure there were plenty of 10 to 13 year olds who saw that movie for the first time and appreciated that character's snarkiness. So it it was kind of interesting to be able to draw that line. And for some reason, John Malkovich is the line. But also... Diablo Cody has very explicitly said that she had a few screenplays with her when she wrote Juno and when she wrote Jennifer's Body. Is one of them Ghost World? Yep, Ghost World was one of them. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah, really, really heavily influenced by it. And it's it's you know like you picked up on. There's a a real uh, connective tissue there. I think Enid became kind of an archetype for what a certain type of teenage girl character would be. And people have said like even coming up to more recent times like characters in uh euphoria that i can't remember what her character name is um the do you watch euphoria i haven't seen it there's a a character who does like kind of cam shows and stuff and wears a mask oh cool those kinds of things that it's like even now there can continue to be echoes of what was set out in that movie and it's pretty remarkable for people to still be referencing that as something that's influenced them when it wasn't like a big hit it was you know didn't make much money and it's it's definitely had an effect on people regardless but i feel like the graphic novels got to be a pretty big seller 
I have no idea. <laughs> I don't have a fact to reference, but in my mind, that's like canon of of graphic novels of like the 90s, Ghost World's kind of up top. Yeah, and I'm not sure. I think at the time when this movie came out, graphic novels weren't making as much money as they do now. And the medium has kind of grown in uh, respect and the number of properties that have gotten adapted in the last 20-something years. It's huge. Yeah. I actually, I hadn't realized that there was a Wilson adaptation. Yeah, until... yeah. I haven't seen it, but. Me neither. Didn't even know about it. Never heard about it. Yeah. When was Mouse? I feel like that kind of legitimized the form and I feel like that's got to be mid-90s. Yeah, I think so. I think it was before Ghost World. Obviously, very different, <laughs> very different story, very different novel. Yeah, but at the time that the Ghost World movie came out, I read an interview with Dan Klaus and he was in a bookstore with somebody and they were talking about like the the place of um, graphic novels in the broader literary world. And he's like, oh, yeah, they don't know what to do with them. They just put them in with with whatever and talking about how Mouse like gets thrown in with kind of history books and then people look at it and they're like, there's like a kid's book in here. What's this doing here? But they were walking through the stacks and he had, oh, let me see if I can find it. It's so funny. Um, I'm not going to be able to find it. It was a book. It was like stacked with a bunch of books. And it was like, how to date a Jewish person, but, you know, from matzo balls to something. And it's like, there's, you know, vague Jewish connections in this. Like they're, they're Jewish people in it, but it's not something that you would think is like, we're going to put this in the Jewish section. Wait, Ghost World was in the, the Jewish section? Yeah. That with that book that's like how to how to date a Jewish person or something. Yeah, Ghost World is like how not to date a Jewish person. Um, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> I was thinking about that, honestly, because I, I am Jewish and I went to, uh, having first grown up in New York, I then went to high school and middle school in a really rural place where like basically no one else was Jewish. I think there were two, two other kids who were like half Jewish hmm. and the uh, anti-Semitic. I mean, they're, they're certainly on display in Ghost World. You know, various anti-Semitic slurs were just like totally normal parlance in, in middle school, high school. Um, so I'm wondering if also like part of my interest in it when I was uh, this little tween is seeing Enid as this like punk rock, like foul mouth, nerdy, wearing whatever she wants, Jewish kid. And she's also kind of agnostic and like apolitical, which is not exactly my backstory, but yeah, I think that that is cooked into the character. Maybe we weren't at all. There certainly weren't like girl Jewish protagonists on any TV shows I was watching. I just rewatched Sex in the City. Why did I do this? But Carrie is like so clearly Jewish and yet they never allow her to be. I think they did the same shit on Friends where the, you know, there's characters that are clearly coded Jewish, but they don't allow them to be because it makes it more big scare quotes like relatable to the, mm -hmm. the rest of the country. Um so to see to have this protagonist of Enid who's so like cool and I don't know if you should say she's aspirational, she's kind of an edgelord, but uh that she's Jewish and explicitly so I think was probably cool for me as a as a little kid. And I that was one of the things that kind of struck me reading uh the book again, like I'm Jewish, I'm queer. Those two things in the book, um, you know, there's people being anti-Semitic, there's people being homophobic, yeah. but there's also Jewish characters, the leads are Jewish characters, and they constantly are saying kind of homophobic things, but then being like, maybe we're lesbians. Holding yeah. hands with each other. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, all of that stuff was interesting to me too. I also, there's a thing that, you know, annoys me about 
people making movies about whatever subset of people and nobody who is uh, identifies as part of that group is involved. Mm. And with this movie, it's like everybody who's involved is Jewish, basically. Um, I actually, of course, I, I was like, is Thoroughbridge Jewish? Like, I feel like they didn't make Ina Jewish enough, but she is Jewish. I, I shouldn't yeah. have raised my red flag there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love the looking up of, is this celebrity Jewish? Yeah. It's Can my I count game. them for my <laughs> yeah. team? <laughs> yeah. I do that more often than I would like to admit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then whenever, I mean, I've had, I have very embarrassingly had moments with my husband where I'm like reading off lists of famous Jews and being like, oh, did you... Harrison Ford, <laughs> did you know? <laughs> yeah, my my people. I I do like to to shout out that if someone is from my from the tribe. Yeah, it's good to have a team. Herbert, great. Thank yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I think that is a perfect note to finish on. Um, <laughs> um, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for making time for me. Yeah, thank you for tolerating my my very last minuteness with this. I was like pulling my hair out trying to think of a a big influence that I hadn't already talked about and i can't believe the ghost world i mean i made it this long without going deep on it i always say i hate favorite questions i cannot answer favorite questions if people ask me like what's the most important blah or what's your favorite movie or whatever i just like freeze and go change the subject so it's very sadistic of me to make this the uh the show that i host but um i appreciate it no it's great and you know like the band is named for 11 rockets character um, so I've certainly like gotten to talk about indie comics quite a lot and I just can't believe I never, uh, talked about this one, which is kind of my, f other than, yeah, uh, this was like my first big indie comic. Well, I, uh, I feel very honored that you, uh, you chose this, uh, forum for, uh, oh, the first public discussion. So. <laughs> yeah, it was great. I, I feel like I learned more about it from, from getting to talk to you. So thank you for supplying me with some facts. Awesome. My pleasure. Uh, well, thank you so much. So good. I really, really loved that conversation. Thanks so much again to Sadie for chatting with me. The new Speedy Ortiz album, Rabbit Rabbit, is out now, and uh, you should give it a little listen if you know it's good for you. Okay, quick little spark of the week from me, MoMA. That's the Museum of Modern Art in New York City, if you didn't know. Just opened a new major retrospective of Ed Ruscha's work. If you don't know who Ed Ruscha is, listen, you do. Google him. You'll recognize his paintings immediately. I love his stuff so fucking much, and this is a huge exhibition spanning various forms of media, and it's just great. So check it out if you're uh, in New York before January 13th of next year. And that's about it. Please follow me on social media at Spark Parade. Uh, I hope the back-to-school vibes aren't getting you down too much, but if they are... I don't know. Buy yourself a school sucks t-shirt or something. And until next time, bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.